We're going to be reading in chapter 9 of John this morning as we continue our journey through the Gospel of John. And we are going to be reading verses 35 to 41. We continue with the story of the blind man that Jesus healed and all of the things that have been happening with him and the Pharisees' reactions to that. We pick up with these words. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, meaning the blind man. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees were, who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word, and may we pray for our pastor this morning. Lord, we pray for Keith as he delivers your word and your message that comes from this wonderful gospel, and we just pray that as the blind man's eyes were opened, that our eyes will be opened as well, that we will be able to see Jesus for who he truly is and truly wants to be for each and every one of us. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to receive this message that Keith has prepared, that your Holy Spirit has given him to share, and that he delivers it with clarity, and that we may share it with great purpose as we go about our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a long time since I've been able to be with you guys for um, for about four weeks now, I think, from um, our family went on vacation, and uh, we had a great time, and then as soon as we got back from vacation, we uh, went to Haiti and got back last Saturday night. And, and I want to thank those of you that have uh, came out and supported us with the, uh, our presentation last week or have uh, talked about uh, how you could encourage that trip and things. The next trip, by the way, for Haiti is going to be in March of, of next year. So more stuff on that will come later. But, you know, I've missed being here. It's, it's always good to come home and to be able to, to worship with you guys. And I did hear from Pastor Mike this morning. They're on vacation in Colorado, and he, of course, is, is praying for us and thinking of us, too. So um, this story in John, I, I love it. And if you weren't here, if you haven't kind of been able to think about it a lot lately, let me just give you the, the cliff note version of it, okay? What happens is this man who's been born blind for you know his whole life, he's lived with, with no sight. He encounters Jesus. He has no idea who Jesus is. And Jesus takes, says, do you want to be, do you want to see? He says, I want to see, you know, and and so Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, and puts it on this man's eyes, and tells him to go wash this off in this pool, and the man does, and then he can see. So that's the miracle. He, he, he goes from being completely blind to being able to see, and when he goes into the church, you would think that people would be fired up about that, right? You know, I mean, if we had someone in our congregation or in our community who was born blind and Jesus healed them, we would have the most amazing testimony 
the most amazing party. There'd be videos about it. There'd be songs about it. It'd be on the news. We'd be so excited. Well, these people uh, are bent out of shape because this was happening on the Sabbath. So Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, but rather than celebrate and be excited about it, they lecture this man about how sinful he is and about how horrible Jesus is, and then they kick him out of the church. So that's this guy's first exposure to church. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? I mean, the church obviously had no idea who he was because they, they didn't know he was blind. They, they, they accused him of lying. They brought his parents in and said, is this your son? Yeah. Is he, was he really born blind or have you guys been faking this all these years? You know? So, so it, it's, a, it's a powerful story. And then where we are today is kind of the end of it. What happens next? So this poor guy is, is sent out of the synagogue and he's out by himself. And I, I love the way this story begins because it says that Jesus had heard about this man. And then he goes out and he finds him. So Jesus hears about him and he goes to look for this guy and he finds him. And, and, you know, this man's never seen Jesus, okay? Do you understand that? He's never seen him because he was blind when he left Jesus. He washed himself in the pool and then that was it. So he doesn't know what Jesus looks like. He has no idea. Jesus goes and he finds him and, and they have this conversation where he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Yeah, well, who is he? It's me. Okay, belief. Boom. Done. That fast. <clears throat> what a powerful thing, you know? But the blindness of the Pharisees is, is kind of really what I want to key in on today because this, this blindness is something that's a theme in John's gospel. This idea of darkness and light and who Jesus is. In, in the beginning of John's gospel, he, he starts off by talking about how the light has come into the world and in him there is no darkness at all. But there's two types of people, John says. There are those who receive that light and choose to live in it. And then there are those who, according to John, say, loved the darkness more than the light. And they chose to stay in the darkness because their deeds were evil and they wanted to remain hidden away from the truth, hidden away in the darkness. So two types of people, those who live in the light of Jesus and, and, and are illuminated by him, and then those who stay hidden away in the darkness, not illuminated by the light of Jesus. And really, that's as simple as it gets. But I want to talk about blindness because if we understand what blindness is, then I think we can understand what these Pharisees were going through. So in its simplest form, blindness is simply the inability to process light. Light is all around us, and light is what reveals reality to us, correct? So reality exists whether we see it or not. And light is what shows us, because of the way that our brains work and our eyes can interpret light, that's how we get our awareness of reality. So blindness is, is what happens when something doesn't work right. It doesn't mean that reality has changed, okay? People who are blind still live in the same reality as people who are sighted. Reality never changes. Reality just is. The universe just is. Blindness has to do with the ability to process that information. And when someone can't process light, then, then, they're, then they're blind. They can't see reality. Same thing spiritually. When, when, when you can't process spiritual information, reality doesn't change, but your ability to process it is, is what can make you either see or not see. So it's, it's kind of a strange situation when you're ever in a place where 
you can't really process the reality. Have you ever been there before? You know, have you ever been to a foreign country and people are speaking and you can hear them, right? But you can't process the information. You know, of course, we were just in Haiti last week uh, or two weeks ago working on a project, working on building a church building. And we were there assisting a, a team of Haitian nationals who were the ones that, that, you know, knew how they wanted the structure built. And we were basically their labor. We were their helpers. So when we would go to the job site, there's about four or five of these guys and we were there to hand them stuff and to, to make the, the, the cement and to, to bring the bricks to them and to, to get stuff out of the way and just work. And we worked hard. But here's what would happen. They'd look at us. We'd try to communicate with them. They'd look at each other. They'd speak in Creole, which is the, the language down there, which sounds a lot like French. They'd look at us again, and then they would laugh. Right? And, and I, I kind of was like, what are they saying? I mean, we wanted to know, like, what are they saying? I... And so here's what I chose to do. I chose to pretend that and imagine that what they were saying was, wow, these people from Marion are amazing. <laughs> they are the best team we've ever had down here. They're the most amazing, hardworking people. We're so thankful that they're here. Look at them. And that, that dark-haired guy who's the leader, he's like 22 years old. He's way too young to be leading that team, right? That's what I, and so I was like, yeah, you know, I don't think that's what they were saying. I think what they were saying was, these people don't have a clue what we're trying to say to them, so let's mess with them a lot. You know? We did figure out that block meant block, okay? And we figured out that moche meant bring me some mud, a bucket of mud for the, for the mortar. So we had that down. That, we, could, we could pretty much figure out what we needed to. But, you know, again, we could still hear what they were saying. It wasn't that they were, it wasn't that they were being secretive. They were speaking as loudly as, as, as ever. We just couldn't process. There's, there's lots of things like that in life, aren't there? Information that goes on around you in reality that when you don't choose to process it, it leaves you kind of in the dark, right? I just described to you my uh, high school and middle school academic career when it came to mathematics, okay? The information was there. I just didn't really process it, okay? And we'll get into more about why in a few minutes, but... but Having the information doesn't do you any good if you can't process it. And spirituality is, is the same way. If, if you can't process what's going on with the reality of, of God around you, then, then you're going to wind up in trouble. So let's talk about spiritual blindness for a few minutes here, what it is and what it means. First of all, I want to point this out. According to the scriptures, according to Jesus, spiritual blindness is a voluntary state. It's a voluntary state. It's not something that happens to you. It's something that you choose for yourself, or I would say choose to remain in yourself. Now, let me explain to you. The, the, the Jews and the, the religious teachers, you know, they had all the information they needed to recognize that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They had that, but they chose to ignore it and explain it away because it was too difficult for them to wrap their minds around. They, they chose that. Listen to this scripture from, from Ephesians 4.18 where the Apostle Paul talks about this. He says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Okay? So he's speaking about people who, who are ignorant about who God is and about what's going on and not having the life of God. He's, and he's saying, Why? 
And if we read this kind of backwards, we could see this. The hardening of your heart causes ignorance, or is caused by ignorance, which leads to you being separated from the life of God. Now, the Bible uses this analogy, this, this idea of hardening of a heart quite a bit. It talks about Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and, and he refused to let God's people go. And, and in the book of Jeremiah, we see how God uses the imagery of a potter shaping the clay to talk about his relationship with his people. And he says, look, you're like this lump of clay, and I'm like the potter. Now, if, if you've ever seen anybody make a, a vessel out of clay, you have to work fast, and you have to work with water because the clay is malleable and moldable until you take your hands off it. And then once, once it dries and it's hard, you can't go back and fix it. So once, once that vessel is, is, is done being worked on, then you're stuck with it. And that's what he's saying really can be the condition of the human heart, that we can choose to let our hearts become hardened to, to other people or to situations or to God. And when that happens, we become ignorant, which is going to separate us from the life of God. So this is the voluntary state that oftentimes people put themselves into because they don't want to deal with reality. Just like when I was in math class. I went in there, sat down, teachers started talking about formulas and equations, and I just said, I'm just going to sit here and think about drums or something else or whatever. And I would do that for the whole time, then I'd leave, and then they'd say, here, here's a test, and I would just bomb miserably. It wasn't because I didn't get the right information. I just chose at that time in my life not to process it, right? Where are we like that today? Where are you like that today? You ever have those moments in your life where there's vital information about reality happening around you, whether it's reality in your family or at your work or in your own health and your own life or situations, and it just becomes too much for you to deal with. So you just say, I just can't deal with that right now. You ever do that? You ever just get overwhelmed with life and you just go, oh, I'm done. No more. I, for me, I call that when I'm closed. I just go, nope, Keith's closed for the day. I can't take any more requests. Can't take any more uh, orders today. I'm closed, right? My kids are like, but dad, we got it up. Sorry, I'm closed. You know, I will reopen tomorrow morning, you know. Now, it's not always a good thing to do that, is it? Especially with vitally important things in life. Because there are things around us that, that are reality and that are true, whether we can deal with them or not, right? You know, my, my change oil light on is on my Suburban. I know I need to get that done, right? But I just haven't been able to deal with it yet because I've been gone. But it's not going to say to me, well, okay, Keith, we in your car understand that you've just been too busy, so we'll, we'll give you a pass. No, it's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse until I actually get to deal with it, right? So, so there's a lot of things like that in life, and that's what happens spiritually to us a lot of times. We become blinded to the truth of who God is and what's going on around us because we don't want to go there. That's exactly where these Pharisees were. They chose to remain in that state. Jesus had showed himself to them. He had done these miracles. He would revealed himself. But they willingly chose to harden their hearts. It's a terrible thing when that happens. Secondly, spiritual blindness, when this happens, you cannot recognize who God really is. You can't recognize who God really is. Jesus said to these same guys in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. See, these were people 
who had devoted their entire lives to the study of God. They had the, the, their scriptures memorized. Their whole life was about their religion. But because they were spiritually blind, this amazing thing happened to them, and it still happens today. They began to worship their religion rather than the God to whom their religion pointed them. You understand that? They worshiped their religion, not the God to whom the religion pointed to. You see, Jesus was saying, look, everything that you do, everything that's been written, everything that you've studied, all the, all the rituals and the feasts and the sacrifices and everything that you've ever experienced your entire history has pointed to me. And here I am. And you don't even recognize me. You don't even see me for who I really and truly am. It's a dangerous place to be. <clears throat> because here's what happens, especially to religious people. When you don't recognize who Jesus is or who God is, you're forced to invent that data in your own mind. You're forced to create God. You're forced to, to, to form your own God. Because you believe that God is real, you believe that God exists. Did you know that 90% of Americans would say they believe in God? But do you think that our country looks like a country with 90% of people who believe and trust and worship Jesus? Not at all. See, we live in this crazy place where people have decided who God is for them. They've decided to invent God. They don't see God, even though God's revealed himself to them. They create God because they're spiritually blind to the true God. Does that make sense? It happens all the time, doesn't it? Let me give you an example. Um, on Thursday, I went and had lunch with a, a good friend of mine who's also a pastor. And, you know, maybe two or three times a year, we'll, we'll ride our motorcycles to a place in between where we live and we'll take a couple hours and we'll just catch up on stuff, on ministry and life and different things and, 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 and have those kind of conversations. And we, we got to do that on Thursday. So we were sitting in this restaurant and we were having this pretty in-depth conversation about our times in Haiti because he, he was in Haiti, we were in Haiti. And, and we talked about that. Well, while that was happening, this guy walked up to us at our table. Because apparently when, we're having, when you're in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone, that means, hey, these people want to talk to me. So this guy walks up and he says, hey, are those motorcycles yours out there? And, you know, I don't know why he was judging us as though we had motorcycles. I mean, so what? We were sitting there in, you know, leather jackets and, and you know, we weren't, you know, the rest of the farmers in that crew probably didn't look like they were riding motorcycles. But anyway, we said, yeah. And he, and he was like, cool. And I'm like, okay, that was harmless enough. Well, then he started, like, instantly to tell us all about who he is and how amazing he is and his awesome tales of, you know, what he would say are conquests of various things and I would say the pretty immoral and crude kind of behavior and he had no idea we were pastors at, at first um, but he you know oh yeah this and this and this. and this guy just went on for like 20 minutes right and I was like wow okay you know this is this is okay just be nice to the guy and so he finally walks away and and so I go back to talking to my friend I'm like okay wow that was kind of strange you know and and about maybe two minutes later he comes back over and he goes, you know what? I think I'm just going to pull up a chair. And he pulls his chair right up. And he just unloads on us again and again and again and again and again. And so I'm sitting there. I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit worked up and I'm trying to figure out. And you know what? Let me just say, it's a good thing Pastor Keith has a little restraint sometimes. Because 
I, I wanted to just, you know, kind of just confront this guy and his behavior a little bit. But he had tattoos all over his arms, you know, which I think is cool and everything. But the tattoo he has on this arm is a big tattoo of Jesus, right? So we say to him, we say, okay, hold on. I, I hear all your stories and everything, but what's the story with that? You know, what's that all about? And he goes, oh. He goes, well, you know, that's just to keep me reminded he's always watching out for me, you know? And that's when I about lost it, you know? I'm like, watching out for you? Let me tell you, he is watching you, buddy. He's watching everything that you do, you know? And you are going to have to end. No, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do it. But eventually my friend said, oh, yeah. He finally, I said, well, what do you guys, oh, we're pastors. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Have a nice day, right? I'm like, if only I would have said that immediately, you know? But it was amazing to me that this guy has this idea in his mind, okay? And after 2,000 years of, of Christianity and the Bible and, and everything, he has this idea that Jesus is there to watch over him while he's doing all of his stuff and keep him safe, Right? That's his idea about who Jesus is. And I'm asking, I'm like, where do we get that idea? Answer, he came up with it, right? Because he didn't read that in the Bible. And then I started thinking, this is the, this is the primary, you know, problem of our, of our culture and our generation and our society is that we have bought into this, this identity about Jesus that he exists for us rather than what the Bible says that we exist for him. See, there's a fundamental difference there, isn't there? If when we recognize the truth that we are created in his image, in his likeness, for what the Bible says are his purposes to bring him glory and to serve him, then, then our lives look completely different. But when we fall into this trap, this, this idea that God, that, that first of all, that we're awesome, and that God exists to give us what we want and keep us from things we don't want, that's when, you know, we run into all these problems. And that's what happens when we're spiritually blind. We don't see the real Jesus. We don't understand who he really is. We think he's all about us. But the real Jesus comes along and he shows us something completely different, doesn't he? And, and he shows us that we belong to him. And he shows us that, that we're to, to live our lives to honor him. And of course, he blesses us and, and he heals us and he transforms us. But it's because he's molding us into his image more and more, which is why we were created. But when you're spiritually blind, you don't have the accurate view of who God is. You can't see him. And that's dangerous on a lot of levels, isn't it? Because we can be, we can be lulled into this sense of security in our lives and in our faith that really doesn't exist. Because we think, oh, hey, you know what? God's just there to watch out for me. I'm going to do whatever I want to in my life, however I want to. I'm going to live whatever life I want to do, and, and God is just going to love me and watch out for me. That's the North American gospel. And I'm telling you, it, it's a result of spiritual blindness. And when you're spiritually blind, not only are you unaware of your own need for God, for the real God, but also this other one here too is, is, is this. It keeps you from celebrating what God is doing. It keeps you from celebrating. See, this guy was healed. There should have been a party at the church, amen? 
There should have been a celebration. This man should have been welcomed in and they should have found Jesus and thrown the most amazing party and brought this guy's family in and welcomed them and celebrated with them. But they missed out on a killer party. They missed out on an amazing reason to celebrate. So they cursed him and kicked him out. See, God is so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. He's so much greater than we can possibly imagine. And he works in ways that are beyond our ability to comprehend in people's lives. And when you have this little tiny view of God that you've created, you miss out on celebrating so many things. You miss out on on the way that he transforms people's lives and on what he's doing because he doesn't fit into your category. They thought that God would never heal somebody on the Sabbath. That was their category. God never said he wouldn't do that. That was their category. Because they were blind, they, they missed out on it. You know, we, we in our church, you know, it reminds me of summer games. You know, we love summer games here. Summer games is our church camp. We had over 600 people there this year. It is an amazing experience, as it is every single year. And, and kids' lives are transformed, and, and churches are transformed through the ministry of summer games. But did you know that there are some pastors that will refuse to send their kids to summer games? Some pastors who think it's the most evil, demonic, horrible, abusive thing in the world. And I know you're sitting there going, what? What could be so bad about kids learning about Jesus and having fun and worshiping God? Well, you tell me. But what they've told me is that, well, you guys are too narrow in your focus of who Jesus is. You're too uh, rigid in your understanding of the Bible. And, you know, that whole crucifixion thing that you do, that's just traumatizing to people. You know, so... Consequently, there are, there are, you know, scads of kids who never get to go or never get to learn. There are churches that never get to have that benefit because people have decided that God can't work in that way. You see, you see what I'm saying? They're, they're missing out, I believe. That's my own personal thing. Now, they, they'd look at me and say, I've missed out. But, you know, I don't think that I have because I've seen how God's worked and done amazing things. See, when your eyes are open spiritually, you can see God's activity in ways that are beyond anything you would have ever thought of yourself. You can go, wow, I never would have done it the way that happened. Praise God. God's bigger than I thought. Amen. It's amazing what can happen. Now, lastly, spiritual blindness is not about ignorance. It's about pride. Ignorance is when you don't know something. These guys knew information, but their pride was what kept them from Jesus. It was their pride. It was their refusal to accept that they still had things they could learn that they still had room to grow, that they still hadn't figured everything out yet. So their pride kept them from seeing what God was doing because it couldn't possibly anything, be anything different than what they had already decided it was going to be. Romans one twenty one talks about this. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, I know all sin is sin, But I think some sins are worse than others. And I think pride is the worst. Because it is pride that is the gateway to every other sin. It is pride, ultimately, that keeps a person from Jesus. Because it is pride that causes a person to say, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I can do it on my own. I've got it figured out. I'm too cool for this. I'm too cool for that. I'm the center. God needs to be about me. That all begins with pride. And pride is that obstacle that gets between us and the light of God. And that's what Jesus was saying. And lastly, spiritual blindness brings guilt. 
You don't get a pass from Jesus because you were spiritually blind. Remember what he said to the Pharisees. They said to him, are we blind too? And he said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So it was their pride that caused them to say, oh, well, we know everything. We don't need you. We're not this. We're not that. And Jesus does not give them a pass on that. You can't come before God and plead the ignorance card. Say, oh, well, I didn't know. I didn't know it wasn't that way. I didn't know it was. Everyone has the opportunity to know. The Bible's clear about that. God has revealed himself to all creation. Creation itself is the revelation of God. Because how else would we get here, right? Now, I know we, we've, we think we have that figured out, sort of. But it changes every few years, I, I think. But God's word says that God is the creator of all things and that God brought existence from nothing and that God is is the beginning and the end of all things. He's revealed himself, so it says, so that none will be without excuse. So you can can hide in the darkness of your life and and just kind of say, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. But understand this. There's a day coming when you're going to have to deal with everything you've hidden yourself from. There's a day coming when everything that you've chosen to put off in your mind as things you're going to deal with when it comes to Jesus, you're going to have to deal with it. So you might as well bring yourself into the light of Christ. You might as well let God's grace wash over you because it's not a bad thing, is it? It's an awesome thing. Let me talk to you about what happens when you have spiritual sight, okay? Look at this. Spiritual sight begins with your healing. Okay, Jesus didn't say to this guy, okay, here's the deal. You want to be healed? Uh, Fill this form out. Come to this class. Attend the synagogue for two years. We've got a team of people that will supervise you and make sure you're doing okay. Um, You know, here are your giving envelopes. Fill them out correctly. Here's the things you have to do. Here's all the rules you have to follow. And here's the things that you have to do to become just like us. And when we've decided that you're good enough for us, then... Maybe I'll heal you. That's not how Jesus worked, was it? No. The very first thing that happened was healing. The healing is the beginning of your relationship with God. The healing is the beginning of your sight. When you come to Jesus, and here's why. Because when you come to Jesus, it's like everything has been lifted off of your eyes. And now you can see reality for what it really is. And you can see yourself for what it really is. And that in and of itself is tremendous healing. That's where it starts. See, too many of us are fumbling around in life, in the darkness, thinking some way that we can find our way to God in all of that. And then he'll fix us maybe someday. Remember what this says. God found this man. He sought him out. God's not hiding from you. He's not hiding from us. He's there waiting to reveal himself to us, trying to reveal himself to us. Our problem is that we have barriers in the way that keep us from that light. And what I'm talking about this morning is removing those barriers, removing that pride, removing that ignorance, letting your hardened heart become like a heart of flesh. The Bible says that God can do that for you. Even the most hard-hearted sinner can come to Christ And have their life changed. God says I'll take your heart of stone. And give you a heart of of flesh. But you've got to come into the light. And that is healing. Secondly spiritual sight recognizes Jesus. You can know who he is. You can recognize the real Jesus. You can see him for who he truly is. You don't have to make him up in your own mind. You don't have to invent him. You don't have to, to change him to fit your 
circumstance or situation, you can see the real, and the real Jesus, let me tell you something, the real Jesus is way better than anything that you or I could create in our own minds, amen? He's way better, better than we can possibly imagine. And of course, when we see this real Jesus, spiritual sight leads to belief and worship. That's where it'll take you every time. Because when you've seen him for who he truly is, you fall on your face and you worship him. You believe that he is who he says he is. And that's the difference between this man who was born blind and these Pharisees. He could see Jesus. He was healed. And he believed and worshipped. Where these Pharisees, they chose to stay how they were in their darkened, hardened of heart state. And in doing so, they, they had to deal with the guilt that was put on them for that. So how do you have your eyes opened? What do you need to do? Maybe some of you are here today and you're just thinking, man, I've, been, I, I, I've grown up with knowledge about Jesus my whole life. I've grown up in the church. I'm really good at the church thing and the religion thing, but maybe I'm like a Pharisee. Maybe I know all the rules, but I don't know the real Jesus. Or, or some of you are saying, I, I, I've never even been around this stuff before. It's all new to me, and I don't know what to do. Here's step one, no matter who you are. Step one, no matter who you are, is this. Humble yourself. Recognize that you don't know everything. That's step one. If you don't do that, you can't go anywhere with God. Because if you're still showing up like you and God are equals, you know, God is my co-pilot kind of thing happening there, you know, if, if you've got the seat right next to him, then you, you're, you're not going anywhere. He, he's got to be the driver's seat, okay? You've got to get on his page, not him get on your page. That's the thing. And that takes humility, doesn't it? Because to humble yourself before God basically means this. God, you're greater than I am, so what you say is greater than what I believe or what I say. So if you say this is how my life needs to be, then I have to submit to that. That's what true humility is when it comes to God. It's humbling yourself, saying, God, I don't get it. I don't understand everything. I don't know. Show me. Show me. And I believe that God will. Secondly, when God does that and he reveals himself to you, whatever Jesus shows you, take the next step of obedience. Whatever it is. I don't know what it is for you. I, I try to figure out what it is for me every day. But whatever it is, take the next step. Now, don't fall into the, the trap that a lot of us do and we want the whole picture, right? Well, I can't deal with just the next step. I gotta have the next 80 steps to make sure that it's all cool, right? Just to make sure that if there's any adjustments that need to be made, I can put my input in on that, right? No, God doesn't work that way. He will give you the next step. This guy in this story was only given one step. Go and wash. He didn't know what was gonna happen to him. He could have said, oh, what are you talking about? I'm already blind, now you're making my face dirty? How ridiculous, you're insulting me. He said, go wash in the pool, and he did. He didn't know what was gonna happen. No one said to him, hey, just chill. This is John chapter nine. It's gonna be cool, watch this. No one said 2,000 years later, we'd be talking about him still. You don't know what God's got in store for your life. You don't know the amazing things that are right around the corner of your obedience until you take that step. But some of us are stuck in this place where we refuse to do it because we don't understand it or we're too afraid or we're too prideful, amen? I mean, hey, I've been there, you know? Say, no, God, you don't know, as if he doesn't know. Whatever he shows you, take that next step and let the chips fall where they may. Some of you are like, well, I don't know. How do I know what that step is? Listen to this scripture I found in Psalm 119. This is verse 130. 
The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Enfolding of your words. This is about God's word. Okay, we have God's word here for us. Let it unfold into your life. Search the scripture. Pray. Seek God's will. Let him know that you're available. Let him know that you want to know what that next step is. And then whatever it is, be willing to take it. I promise you, God will tell you. You might not like it, but God will tell you. And when you take that step, then the next one will come. And the next one will come. And then you're going to be amazed when you step back and look at it and go, wow, look at everything that God did in my life and through my life. Because I'm telling you, he has got a powerful plan for each of you. He's got something in store in each of your lives, even for the people in here right now that think this is ridiculous. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. Get the blinders off. Listen to what he says. Step into obedience and humble yourself and watch God do his thing in your life and in our church. It'll be like nothing else you've, you, nothing else you've ever experienced. And thirdly, how to have your eyes open is, is believe in Jesus. That's where, it's, that's where it is. If you think you can do this, believing that Jesus is just some other guy or made-up figure in history, you have no power. Your salvation, the, the work of God in your life, is the result of your belief in Jesus. It's the power to salvation. Believe the gospel. That was the message that was given. Repent and believe the gospel. Change your thinking. Change your life. Believe in Jesus. Believe this good news that he's come, that he's real, that he has a plan for you that he has a step for you, that he has healing for you. 1 John 1, 5, and then I'm going to pray. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. What's your step of obedience? I want to pray that God reveals it to you and to me. Let's, let's, let's bow our heads right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, this story in John's gospel. God, for the way that you interacted with this, this blind man, Lord, it's a picture of our lives if we think about it, God, because some of us, or all of us, have areas of our life, or, or even all of it, God, where we just, we just are not processing reality around us. The reality that, that you're there and that you're real and that you love us and that you have a plan for us and that we need you. Lord, open our eyes to that reality. Help us to humble ourselves. Give us the grace that we need, Lord. Seek us out that we might understand what that next step is for us. Lord, I pray for my friends here today and for myself that, God, no one would leave this place today without understanding exactly what that next step of obedience is in our lives. Whatever it might be, Lord, Give us the strength that we need to walk into it. Shine your light on us that we might see you for who you truly are, one who in whom is no darkness at all. Lord, we choose to stand in your light. May it reveal truth to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a look at this video. Really the thing that makes Marian Methodist most special to me is the people. It's all about the people. Um, Kirk and I moved here 16 years ago and um, didn't know anybody, didn't have any family or friends in the area. And so um, we visited this church and it really wasn't the building or 
even the Sunday school classes or even the way Pastor Stan played the piano that made us want to join here, but it was the people. Kirk and I give our gifts to Marion Methodist because uh, it's so important to us and we want to ensure that others have the opportunity to experience the same feeling of family that we've always felt here. My name is Carol McNeil and these are the reasons I give to Marion Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping God in this way? Will the ushers please come forward?